Welcome to the Panoramic Outdoors Podcast, connecting you to all things outdoors. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Panoramic Outdoors podcast tonight on episode 154 brought to you by Canada's number one digital hunting companion iHunter. We are sitting down with Colton Kerr, a waterfowl business owner, guide and photographer from the heart of the Mississippi Flyway in Arkansas. Colton's a manager at Cypress Crossing Guide Service, which is a family-run waterfowl business and he's also the social media manager at RNT Calls. We'll chat all about his upbringing in the waterfowl hunting industry, what motivated him to take on this family business, and a little bit about content creation within the industry, which is a little piece that I just love. So before we get started, though, I have my husband, Brennan, on the other mic with me. How are you doing out there in BC? Hello there. Not too bad. Not too bad. I heard it's kind of smoky out there, hey? Yeah, it's a little bit. It's uh. Well, it's kind of smoky everywhere across Canada, it seems right now, but uh, yeah, typical for my third summer in a row here in BC. And uh, yeah, it's been much of the same, a little bit of smoke, yeah, that's a little bit unfortunate. of fireman. Yeah, yeah, it really, it really is. But, uh, you know, making the best of it, the BC people mm-hmm. here really, really do make the best of it and band together. And yeah. Now, when it's not smoking, you've been able to get outdoors a little bit. What have you been, what have you been up to? Um, well, working 12 hour days, <laughs> really a whole lot of time to, to get out and do as much as I'd like to, but, uh, it's, it's British Columbia, beautiful British Columbia. I called that for a reason, uh, that the hiking, the fishing, um, <clears throat> there there's trails everywhere. You, you walk down the road trail, you, you walk into town trails all around. So I, I been really, uh, been really hitting a lot of the sand hills here around Failmount. Um, it's not like our, uh, our ground at all in the prairies. Um, yeah, there's lots of sand where we are in the potato hills, but the sand here, you know, leads right into rolling hills and bam, really high mountains. So it's a, it's a challenge and it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's a changing ground conditions constantly. And I really like that. That's what I've been doing for, for the walking portion of BC here. Um, fishing, we're pretty fortunate where I'm working uh, now, fishing for bull trout, lingcod whitefish uh rainbow trout lake trout so it's 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 been okay it's been three years and it's been it's been pretty good um do you have a like secret lure yet the proverbial kitchen sink uh, (laughs) and is is a go here in some of the rivers trout fishing isn't my isn't my go-to so i just kind of maniacally throw out whatever's shiniest and <laughs> the most flamboyant hook I can find and they seem to respond pretty well. Yeah, well that's, uh, that's, that's been my trout experience here in, in British Columbia. Well you there's like quite a few of the rivers around you have trout, don't they? Yeah, I'm pretty sure every river here has trout in it. Some kind of um, trout. Yeah, and it's it, it really is beautiful here. Like I, I harp on it quite often as uh dedicated pickerel or walleye fisherman you know drinking <laughs> with a leech on the bottom of a, a brown water lake <laughs> then you get to these clear water lakes or there's these very talented fly fishing people um yeah the purists <laughs> the purists yes yeah indeed. they probably think yeah. you're ridiculous tossing out like a pickerel rig oh with my little ugly stick spin caster 
<laughs> losing oh losing spoons in the rocks and running in there to to get my hooks back <laughs> like a crazy person. actually going that's, that's okay yeah, like the water, uh... the water flow is pretty good but it's you know knee, knee deep so you just kind of put on your water shoes and go and get your hook back go for a swim oh uh, right. it's too bad um <laughs> for it's too bad that Brennan um, isn't in Manitoba and, you know, within a, within a driving distance from Harvester. Um, for those of us who are in Manitoba and have the opportunity, you can always swing by Harvester Outdoors if you're like Brennan and uh, decide to lose all of your hooks in the rocks. Harvester Outdoors will have a wide variety of that kind of stuff that you can grab um, and then head back out on your fishing trips. <laughs> Just leave them in the rocks. I'll go get them. <laughs> You'll find them. Uh, I'm, uh, I have been, I don't know, up to a lot of things, I guess, where um, Brennan and I grow out some meat birds every year for ourselves and some for friends and for people who help us out with butchering. So I have been kind of tied down to the farm a little bit more than I normally am. And if I'm not and I'm going away, my mom's been coming up and spending the nights up here because these birds need to be fed multiple times a day and changed position on the grass so that they don't um, eat down all of our grass so i've been busy with that and a little bit of whitetail scouting um checking you know cameras and just kind of paying attention to all that stuff but letting it be as natural as possible and it's it's very hard i'm very impatient so it's very hard for me to stay away from all of my cameras and I've done a really good job of that this year. So I'm kind of proud of myself, but I think the biggest thing I'm excited for is Brennan and I have been talking about him finally coming home and, you know, finally being at the end of this project, he's been away for three years and I'm just getting really excited for the possibility of you to be home throughout waterfowl season. So yes, I, en- I, I, en- I know I, I enjoy, I enjoy hunting waterfowl with you because you're a bit more of a, teacher than some other people that we've hunted with and I just find that I always learn a little bit more when I'm going out with you and it's just nice to be in the outdoors with you and we get the opportunity so mm-hmm. and we have quite the area to go in we're yeah. very fortunate to share uh, uh this this flyway in southwestern Manitoba where we hunt most of our waterfowl and, <clears throat> and it's funny because this is the same flyway that you guys will uh talk man. about with uh yeah with colton yeah so that's it's it's a pretty exciting thing um and it's yeah he talks about the hundreds of birds and you know mm. we talk about our our proverbial duck natos i'm really excited for this podcast actually this is this is pretty rad yeah i think one of the biggest things that like I've learned from being out there with you also is like listening. Well, I don't know, listening to nature and like, just, I don't know, paying more attention to what the birds are doing rather than like just going in there being kind of cocky and having an ego and just deciding what you're going to do. So rather like listening to what they're doing, seeing what they're doing, what the wind is doing and how to like, set up your spreads accordingly i don't know that's and Mm -hmm. i I actually like listening kind of when you and say like ryan um disagree on those kinds of things and like come and like listening to each person's why why we should do it this way i think that's really Mm -hmm. interesting yeah well we've been hunting for so long together and and ryan really is probably the best bird guy that i've ever hunted with he's just he's special he's different but we've been doing it since we were kids and it's those disagreements, they're always healthy. They're always friendly. It's never mm-hmm. like a, 
like, you know, any sort of aggression. It's just, hey, what about this? Do you remember this? We did this last time. You know, we had this set up here. We had these hooks. We had this landing pitch. And uh, yeah, so it's 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 fun because we've gotten to a point now where it's going to work. <laughs> like we just, we, we know what we're doing enough to know. And uh, yeah, we make these slight changes and we have a lot of fun with it. Mm-hmm. And, and teaching like Ryan, Ryan really enjoys teaching as well. Like uh, Adam, um, Adam Dillabive, you know, like the core group of guys that we go with, a lot of them feel comfortable teaching as well because they got to that level and mm-hmm. they enjoy the teaching aspect just as much as going out there and, and uh, harvesting the birds. For sure. And I think like for me, you like, you know, that I didn't grow up waterfowl hunting, Um, you know, dad and I were more focused on big game hunting, deer, elk, bear, a little bit of predator hunting together, that kind of stuff. And that, and, you know, even that was different than what you grew up hunting those, like, you know, dad threw me in the tallest tree that he could possibly find on the property, but Mm -hmm. it's really nice to be, to be able to hunt with a with a a core group of guys that get along together, are friends together, but also kind of treat me the same way, you know, like our core group of guys, I, or your really good friends, I would consider those guys my good friends as well, which a lot of times, like, that's not how, you know, a, um, a wife may not consider her husband's friends, her good friends. But I know mm-hmm. that, you know, either one of those boys, Ryan or Adam, um, if I ever needed something, they I could call on them. If I ever wanted to go hunting and you weren't home, I could call on those guys. If I ever needed them to teach me something, they would do it. In the sense of waterfowl hunting, you know, the the three the three of you, when we hunt together, I never feel like Ryan or Adam or you are trying to like overstep or I don't know, teach me in like a negative way. You guys are always just really positive and helpful. And it's, I don't know, it's easy learning from you guys, which I don't think a lot of women don't have that opportunity. They don't get to learn from men in their lives in such a fun and positive way. It it tends mm-hmm. to be a little bit more negative. So mm-hmm. I really enjoy that part. And I think that's probably a little bit of what like, I'm super excited about you coming home too, is like, not necessarily that I need you to teach me things, but like the atmosphere mm-hmm. is different. It's mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. And it's in, yeah, the, the atmosphere nowadays, like I can remember back as a kid, it, it was different hunting as a kid with dad and with grandpa and stuff. You know, there was go out, shoot these birds. Like, let's make sure we get birds, not because we were starving necessarily, but we we definitely needed the birds for meat you know Mm -hmm. dad shot a lot of deer and a lot of waterfowl and that's what we ate a lot of so it was it was a bit of a different dynamic so having a friend like ryan grow up and 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 anybody that i've hunted with you know it was there that's where the enjoyment really came from and really fostered in us and yes it was enjoyable with my with my dad my grandpa but it's definitely a different dynamic so i've found that with anything you enjoy what you're doing and mm-hmm. if you're enjoying what you're doing, pass that on to somebody, make sure somebody else is also enjoying it. I think that's kind of the the idea of the outdoors. Make sure everybody else around you is enjoying it. Like if you have skills that you can pass on to somebody or teach, I think, you know, we, we should all strive to do that more. Yeah, I agree. I will say and though yes, that I have to teach my wife to be proficient at duck hunting. Because, <laughs> I could shoot, a, man. <laughs> I like eating. I like eating ducks, and it is a lot easier when you're shooting as many ducks as I am. So. <laughs> I yeah, like wing shooting is not my. I like things that stand still. 
it, it comes with practice with anything like look at archery yeah. with me you know i was nicknamed the crippler unfortunately for a little <laughs> while there but like in terms of hitting something flying 100 mile by me with a shotgun yeah i'm fairly proficient i can yeah. do that you know so it's it's with anything practice mm-hmm, for sure i will say that one of my least favorite things um, to do with regards to our waterfowl season is like, I enjoy driving around with you guys and like scouting for birds, but I do not enjoy the like getting permission factor. Like when that I'm, I'm like happy as a little clam, just driving around looking for birds, you know, checking if their heads are up or if they're feeding or whatever, like another thing I've learned from you. But when it, yeah, when it comes to knocking on doors or phone like that. Yeah, that's, <clears throat> it's it's difficult meeting new people and you just never know what, uh, what farmers are up to, who's already gotten permission or their, or even their uh, opinion on hunting to begin with. Um, you know, we, we started out going to RM offices, getting maps, printing them off to find landowners. It's, we kind of have our area set now over the years, you know, of asking for so much permission. So not very often do we ask a new landowner for permission because we, we have spots to go already, but uh, when it does, it is pretty challenging. And like, like I was just saying about having to go get maps from an RM office that's only open from 8.49 a.m. to 11.16 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe or maybe they don't have printed maps. Maybe or maybe they don't have colored maps. Um, maybe they're not willing to sell, what, whatever the reasons are. And I'm not mm-hmm. knocking the, the RM offices uh, at all. They're wonderful people at every single one I've ever went to. They... Uh, you know, they really hold together our arms and I'm very appreciative towards them, but it wasn't, wasn't always the easiest thing. But yeah. what I found with, uh, <clears throat> with the iHunter app, shameless plug, obviously, <laughs> um, is that you can print the map or you can get the map ordered right on your iHunter app, find the, uh, the, the farmer's names, the, the land locations, everything you know, uh, set up waypoints for previous bird hunts. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just so much there, but iHunter has made getting permission very much easier mm-hmm. in, in, you can... in that, like, it could be early morning, as long as you're connected to the internet to order the map initially, you just get the map. Oh, I forgot to get to the RM office. Oh, they don't open till this time. You know, like it's, it's all there and it's all just so accessible. And just yeah, you can literally excellent. just go on that iHunter app and like click the button, mm-hmm. purchase the map, and then it's there. Like yeah. if you're if you're somebody who you know you're you have a job that's a nine to five job, and there's just no way that you can get to the RM that you need to be at on time to mm-hmm. purchase that landowner map. Like mm-hmm. you can you can purchase it on iHunter. You'll get the same thing. That's right, and uh, like. If you're scouting, you know, multiple vehicle scouting, the iHunter app has the uh, texting function yes, built into the app, which is just, so it's just a game changer. Like, yeah, you could go out of the app and text your, your buddy that's, you know, in the next, uh, in the next RM scouting birds over there, or you can just keep it all through the app, all mm-hmm. recorded through the app. And, and, you know, you never have to close the app down if you're looking for certain features or you're just looking for a farmer's name or a land parcel, you just text right through it. it it's it really changes the game it's quite mm-hmm. enjoyable actually well and the other thing too is like I, I was just thinking of this as you were saying it is okay so say for example um one one person in the party is at home one person in the party is scouting um mm-hmm. driving and another person in the party is scouting driving and you're using the text function so driving you can drop the pin 
and I'm guessing you can share that waypoint with the person or you can share the landowner name with the person, have the person that's at home go through the phone book, find the name and the number for that person and text it back to you. You could Mm -hmm. literally go back and forth like that, call the person while you're on the road at some point, stop into the house, whatever Mm -hmm. you want to do and just, you know, you would be able to call them before going to their home because you just never know some people don't want people stopping in some people prefer that text conversation or sorry that phone call conversation first before you start showing up on their property so Mm -hmm. with the text function somebody can figure out the landowner um, phone number or contact information and get it back to you right away while you're still out there that's right and like the more people that have it with your group that's also scouting you know you can hey check out this area like i'm seeing the birds in the field here what do you mm-hmm. see around it? And maybe, maybe there's a water hole that you didn't see on there that, you know, that's where the roost is and this field's mm-hmm. too close. Like somebody could be like, well, no, look, look East. And you just write on the map there and you can just see the above uh, visual guide to it and be like, no, okay, let's move over here. Like it, there's just so many ways to use it to strategize yeah. and, uh, you know, have fun with it. That's, yeah. that's the main thing is this, this really does make it uh, a little more fun in, in the strategy aside mm-hmm. from just, you know, a million scrolls of RM maps in the back of your truck getting all torn up. Like. <laughs> a million scrolls that are just hanging out in our uh, utility room now because yeah. we both have iHunter and we don't need paper Pretty maps. Much. It feels like one of those old, <laughs> old churches, you know, full of old scrolls and, yeah. and documents. Yeah. It's, so the world's a changing and I'm I'm all about it with iHunter. For sure. Well, should we get into this podcast with Colton? Yes, absolutely. I'm pretty jealous of you and uh, Shelly there talking to him and uh, enjoy. Yeah, I think, you, you know, you weren't on this one, but I think you would have really enjoyed Colton. He just seems kind of like an down-to-earth southern arkansas guy who loves his birds and loves a good hunt and loves a good beverage and i don't know i think um we talked a lot or we will talk a lot about flooded timber and hunting the timbers and i think i think that would literally just be be the coolest thing i don't want to be in the water but i can be like propped up out of the water that would just be such a wild experience never done it we'll put you on a throne we'll put you on a throne we know what you want (laughs) oh thank you (laughs) Yeah, just a pedestal. You can't see my queen wave. That's right. (laughs) All right. Well, without further ado, here is episode 154 with Colton Kerr. Well, today's episode, I'm super happy to get this guy on. We've been talking a little bit on social media and decided, hey, what the heck, let's get him on and let's have a podcast episode kind of all about bird hunting and waterfowl hunting. Um, and the cool thing about it is that he hunts the same flyway as us, but thanks for coming on the show, Colton Kerr. <laughs> it's a pleasure being here. Thank you all for having me. I think this is going to be very interesting. I mean, maybe the same flyway, but a totally separate ends of the flyway for sure. Totally separate, separate ends. And I, I mean, I've looked at your <laughs> website, your social media and stuff like that, and totally different setups for the most part on how we do ours up here. But so I'm really excited to dive into that. But before we do, we have to do the five burning questions. Uh, I don't know if you've listened oh. to any of our podcasts before, but we're going to ask you five <laughs> questions. You can answer them short okay. form and long form. Okay. And it's just for us to get to know you and for our listeners to get to know you as well. So I'll start off first with my first question is uh, if you had one last meal on this earth, what would you have and what would you have to drink with it? Uh, it'd probably be steak, a good steak meal with probably uh, some mashed potatoes and uh, 
green beans. And I'm uh, I'm probably going to go with a, one of the craft beers from R and T Flying Duck Tap Room. Just oh nice. I mean, yeah, yeah. Nice. So, good craft beer the- up there. We usually get a good steak and beer uh, combination answer on on that on that question quite a bit. It's, uh... that's, that's a frequent one. <laughs> yeah, I mean your uh, <laughs> your answer is pretty much exactly the same as mine, except I wouldn't pick a beer. I'd pick it like a good Caesar for us, so Bloody Mary for you guys. Do uh, you yeah. get along great with my girlfriend? <laughs> <laughs> right on. Our, my second question is: um, I like to call it "fuck you" money, but if you just all of a sudden found a bag of money endless amount and you had to go buy yourself one toy what would you go buy yourself a toy could that be described as anything sure in my yeah, definition let's, let's do it yeah let's do it with anything yeah all right all right um the perfect duck hunting ground with whatever money i could buy i would take every bit of that money and invest it into duck hunting ground so nice that, that's me that's nice. what i live for i i have so i have like an expansion to that so if if that was completely available to you, what would that look like? Like, what to you is the perfect duck hunting ground? There's a lot of things, and that's a pretty long answer. We might want to save that for later. <laughs> like, it's it's, right. it's a enough. long list. There's a long <laughs> list of things that you'd look at, and it might be a later topic. <laughs> so, right on. But for sure. Yeah, there's, yeah there's, there's a lot of things that go into a perfect hunting ground. And uh, I figure that's probably going to be a question that comes up later in the podcast. So maybe we hold that off until then. So Okay. I'm okay nice. with that. <laughs> <laughs> My um, third question for you is uh, inspiration. I mean, uh, being a hunter, outdoors person, uh, et cetera, where did you get your inspiration to be, have that kind of lifestyle? My inspiration came from my grandfather and my dad. Uh, my grandfather was a commercial design artist. Uh, he wasn't doing advertisement really in the outdoor industry, didn't do any duck stamps or anything like that, although we would would have wished and prayed that he would have presented some of his artwork because he probably would have got a duck stamp one year here in Arkansas. Um, he was doing a lot of advertisement pieces for uh, small business advertising and stuff before the computer days. As we talk right. on this computer... He was doing stuff hand-drawn, piecing artwork together and then taking pictures of it. And that was the artwork for a logo or whatever. But he he did a lot of outdoor artwork and stuff. Uh, He loved the outdoors. And then, of course, my dad followed suit with that. And my father was probably the biggest inspiration, just being right underneath his wing and everything that he did. Uh, He guided in Biomeda Wildlife Management Area here in Arkansas, probably one of the most uh, sought after public shooting grounds in the U.S. Uh, he got it in there back whenever it was legal to get in there. I, I followed along with him, got to watch all that, got to see him do all that. And then, of course, we started our guide service together. So definitely those two guys, more than anything, have been an inspiration in my life. Right on. They put on, on you. <laughs> I'm just sitting here smiling, listening to that because I'm, I feel very much where you're coming from with that. I didn't get a chance growing up. I didn't have a chance to hunt with my grandfathers or know a lot about hunting with my grandfathers. But my dad had a had a great opportunity when he met my mother. Um, my parents own. My parents own quarter sections that are backed up against a provincial forest and provincial um, park. 
And so my father had a lot of opportunity to hunt with my mother's father for elk and moose and all kinds of things. And so now like I have that opportunity with my dad, which is, so I, I connect with you there. It's, it's super special and, and a, a different connection. Yeah, definitely. Definitely for sure. And it's almost like carrying on the, the, for my grandfather, of course, my dad is still with me and, and side by side with me every day in the guide service, but my grandfather, um, you almost feel like you have to carry on that legacy and outdo it a little bit. And I know that's not a way to live your life, but at the same time, I think it's a good way to live your life because you better yourself from it too. So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, one of the things that my father got to do with my, my grandfather, so his father-in-law was hunt elk in the duck mountains. And, um, that's just something that I, like one of my bucket list things is to hunt elk with my dad in the same provincial park and hopefully shoot a big one. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Shoot one. Shoot one. This, this, it's interesting <laughs> hearing y'all talk about stuff because I'm sure the lay of the land and everything is totally different up there than what I deal with every day. <laughs> so, very interesting. I, I would think so. Just yeah, yeah. <laughs> based based on some like based on some hunting stuff that we have like re like researched or seen on your like a website and Instagram and stuff. I think it's definitely different. And Manitoba is huge, so like our part of the flyway that we regularly hunt um, ducks and birds or like waterfowl is the like um, I guess you call it like pothole area, right? Like there's lots of water, but it's like in in little sloughs and stuff and then you drive an hour and a half and it's like huge well for us big mountains they're not very big they're they're small mountains but but completely different sure um, well i mean mount, any mountain's big for us because i think we have a change in elevation of 10 feet and probably 30 <laughs> miles where i live so Flatland. it's really oh. flat <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, so I have two of the last burning questions for you. Um, so mm -hmm. one of them kind of goes back to Shelly's question about the last meal that you would have. My, one of my questions is what is your favorite waterfowl recipe or meal? Uh, actually we cook a, uh, speckle belly recipe at our lodge one evening that the customers are here usually we're booking three-day hunts so the customers will get three separate different meals every you know every evening they're getting a different meal but one of those evenings we do a speckle belly recipe and we actually cook it like steak and then we put a peach cranberry glaze over the top of it Oh, wow. And uh, it's on a it's on a bed of rice, and then it's got a asparagus off to the side of it, and mashed potatoes, and it is just mm, it is it's good. It's really good. <laughs> um, is that a breast or a like a thigh meat? It's a breast. Mm -hmm. So we we typically whenever we're doing those, we would actually breast them out with skin. So mm -hmm. we're going to pluck the feathers off the breast area and then we're going to cut it open and keep the skin on there because it seems to hold the flavor better whenever you have the skin on there. Now, the skin comes off after you cook it, but uh, we want to keep that on there to hold the flavor in a little bit more. So, mm -hmm. and, and don't cook it past medium rare. Any wild game past <laughs> medium rare, you might as well throw it in the trash, in my opinion. 
So. Amen. <laughs> my my husband would like he I remember we were talking about this podcast episode and he was like, you know, you can talk about how how, you know, like we like to cook our our bird medium rare. Like I leave the bird to him. I'm the I'm the like deer, um, elk cook. Like I'm, I cook all the rest of the stuff, chicken and everything. And like we raise chickens. I cook all that stuff. My husband does the bird, uh, like the wild, the waterfowl. I let him do it. So for for you to say that you don't cook a past medium rare, he would just be like, yes, yes, hundred yep. percent. Um, you were yep, saying something me. about a chef. Yeah. So we we had a chef working for for a long time, and uh, uh, he he actually stopped working with us this past duck season he went on to do some other things uh, he was also a guide as well he was doing a lot of things for us he would guide during the day and then cook at night uh taught us a lot of things and and that recipe came from him so i have mm. to give mr joel strickland a lot of credit for that, credit so. for that. cool yeah. um my last question for you is if you could only shoot one species of waterfowl for the rest of your life what would it be? Mallards. Mallards. Big old green heads. Really? Yeah, I mean, well, that's because if I have to hunt somewhere for the rest of my life, it's going to be in Stuttgart, Arkansas. In Stuttgart, Arkansas, the most prominent duck is mallards. So I want to shoot something whenever I go hunting. So I'll pick mallards. <laughs> there we go. Hey, now, I mean, a, if I want answer. to, we can go into, we can go into trophy birds. We can go into all different other things and I, I can spill on different ideas there, but if if the most consistent bird we have here in Stuttgart, Arkansas, and I'll be honest with you, I mean, it's a dream hunting here, and I really don't ever feel a need to go anywhere else. So I know I'm going to hunt here the rest of my life. I'll go ahead and pick mallards. So You know, it's kind of kind of like it's it's crazy and kind of cool to hear you say that because, like, we share, right? We share the same flyway, and mallards is what – the, mallards is the bird that we would also get the most of or the most consistent like if if you were only ever allowed to shoot one you know one species ever again like i think here would also be the mallards like mid to late season that's really all you get here and they're absolutely beautiful and there's just so many what, what it y'all season is actually coming up pretty soon isn't it yeah well um, it's september september, september like okay. the that's right. I That's think right. last year was like September 8th, I think we started. So yeah, this year will be, sure. you know, it'll be like the first or second weekend of September we'll start. Yeah. And we'll okay. get like our our first, um, our first portion of the season will be like teals and wood ducks. That'll be our first. Okay. And they'll be, they'll be amazing and uh, like teals. And, oh gosh. I, I love, I love going to hunt them when my husband's home and like we usually bird hunt together um that's that's his thing he loves waterfowl and but he works away so i don't get to do it much unless he's home but that that's the season that i'm just like okay well i'm not as fast as you guys like i like shooting grouse and uh pheasants and they fly slow because they're heavier so i'm just sure. kind of like hanging out trying to shoot something and they're just like having a blast in the blind and i'm like whatever man like yeah, i'm happy yeah, yeah. i'm happy you're happy so early season even y'all's teal are they uh full color or are they still kind of molted it, it depends i think i think a lot of like the local ducks for us um are molted and then the ones that are coming from the north mm -hmm. that are com coming through 
like where we live in Manitoba, they, they're usually like plumed out and look really nice and colorful and stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Colton, I was gonna, I kind of wanted to kind of rewind a little bit, maybe. Um, and there's probably some people that are listening, our regular listeners, are wonder, maybe wondering who you are. Um, I've, we've kind of already brought you in up to speed. You're from Arkansas. You're a duck hunter, et cetera, et cetera. But do you want to maybe like go back to where it all started for you um, and kind of bring us up to speed of where you're at now? That's a long story. Well, I'm great. glad we got a lot of time. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is a podcast, not a commercial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, for me, um, it really started probably about the time I was about five years old and my father carrying me into biometer wildlife management area here in Stuttgart, Arkansas, or just outside of Stuttgart, Arkansas. There's a running joke here locally in our local towns that Umphrey is actually the, the uh, duck capital of the world, not Stuttgart, because Biomeda is actually an Umphrey. So, <laughs> but so, and, and uh, the Biomeda Wildlife Management Area, I got carried in there when I was about five years old. And uh, father set me on a dog stand. And in those days, there wasn't a lot of many, a lot of people hunting the woods. It wasn't overcrowded the way it is today. And you could work really, really big bunches of ducks. And some people that listen to this may have not been duck hunting for long might think it's very exaggerated, the number of ducks that we were working back then. But you're talking about five, anywhere, a small group would be 500 ducks. And then working in 1,000 ducks into the hole. And it was like a rule with my father that you didn't shoot until 100 ducks touched the water. So as a young man sitting there on that dog stand and, and it, whenever they work into the hole, yeah, you're sitting on the edge of the hole, but they fill up the hole so fast that they're actually trying to land out in the trees with you. And they're actually brushing up against your shoulders and stuff. Their wings are hitting you as they pass by you on this tree because you just look like another tree to them. And uh, I, I, I remember my, I say I remember my first duck hunt but I remember my first remembrance of duck hunting. And it was one of those days where it was actually drizzling rain. Ducks were coming in. I could feel the wind off their wings coming right by me. Cause I would just have my head tucked under trying to stay out of the rain. And then dad said, look up and you're talking about 500 mallards just getting up all around you. And from that moment on, I was hooked off of that, but also hooked off of my family's experience. Just that's what we did on the weekends. My dad used to own a custom cabinet shop. He was a very creative guy. My, my grandfather was a commercial design artist. He was a very creative guy. Um, the cabinet business was hard, long, and gruesome. And so by the time I turned about 16, uh, guiding and public shooting ground had been outlawed, so we weren't guiding anymore. By the time I was 16, we started our own guide service and we started leasing private ground. We started to build a lodge, acquire property, um, and the rest is kind of history after that. It's, uh, we, we built something here that was kind of a dream. We always wanted our own place. We never thought that we would have 500 acres. We never thought that we would have a thousand acres. We never thought that we would have 6,000 acres of private ground to hunt on. And now we sit here and we look back and we're like, okay, wow, how did we get here? You know, <laughs> and it, it, it's, it's been a fun, fun ride. And there's a lot of things in between. <laughs> huh. 
there's a there's a lot of things in between there to write the story uh but that's kind of the gist of it that uh we just had a, a love for duck hunting so we uh we didn't want to stay in the cabinet business we we wanted to really do the guide service so we started leaning towards that direction and figuring out how that works and how we get there and right. that guide service is called cypress crossing and we're just outside of Stuttgart, Arkansas. We're actually probably only, as a, as a crow flies, we're probably only two miles from the hole that I grew up hunting in in Biomita. So no. I've actually hunted a 10-mile radius of where I'm sitting right now, which is only a few hundred yards from our lodge. Yeah. I've, I've probably only hunted a 10-mile radius here all my life. So Nice. I just after listening to you there, I've got probably 3000 questions now for you. And um, <laughs> we were talking about it um, in the intro and, and maybe before we even started recording about like the differences of, you know, hunting setups and not only that, but scenery compared to us. Um, but the one, the one thing that I'm kind of trying to envision is what a duck hunting outfit or a waterfall outfit would look like in Arkansas. So, and you talk about lodges in the land, um, private is there lots of other guys around you doing the same thing are you guys kind of like a little bit of monopoly in the area like what and, and like what does that look like is it all lodging and guides and just maybe describe that to me i'm just very interested in that no there's a there's there's a lot of people but i wouldn't call them a lot of guide services but i wouldn't call them competition it's not like a huge competition there's there's about 40 guide services in a 10 mile 15 mile radius of Stuttgart, arkansas the actual central of the town um then we'd be one of those and and i don't say it's a competition because Stuttgart, arkansas is the duck capital of the world it is on the map for the highest sought after place to come duck hunting. So there is a lot of people that come here year after year after year. I can promise you we haven't even scratched the surface on the amount of people that come here to Stuttgart and try to get them to come hunting with us. And that's okay. You know, we can't house everybody that wants to come to Stuttgart and go duck hunting. So there's not, I wouldn't call it competition or anything like that. Uh, we have a lot of respect for our other guide services that are around us and they have a lot of respect for us. So it, it doesn't feel like a competition or anything like that. Um, it, there's probably more competition on making sure you get the ground that you want. That's, right. that's the competition for sure. And, and what are those, like, what do those rules look like? Cause you said when you're 16, they kind of outlawed the guiding portion or mm -hmm. guiding services. So what does that look like now in Arkansas? So you have, you can guide on private land only, or can you guide on public right. land or? So I think it was even before I was 16, but whenever I was 16, we started talking about doing the guide service on private ground. Um, the late 90s, somewhere in there, they outlawed guiding on biometer wildlife management area. And then on into the early 2000s, they, you were still able to guide on the uh, refuge, which is the river uh, refuge, a lot bigger section of ground off the river uh, that people were still able to guide later than Biomita. But they mainly did that because it was starting to get so populated and a lot of people were throwing a ruckus that the guides shouldn't be able to, you know, get their hole every day because they were beating them to their holes every single day because they knew so much. They were able to, they didn't even really have to race. They knew every little shortcut to take through the woods and they would get their hole every day. I don't know if I agree with it or not, you know, I think those guys kind of kept it old school. They kept it very 
like they went in there, they killed their ducks and they left, you know, mm-hmm. and they, they kept very conservationist because they knew they were going to come back the next day and try to kill some more ducks. But they outlawed it pretty much everywhere. I think pretty much everywhere in the state of Arkansas now, public shooting ground, you cannot guide on. So now we have to search for private ground. You can go, we can buy ground, we can rent ground. As long as it's privately owned, we are able to guide on that property. Oh, yeah. That's cool. Um, then the other the other thing that I wanted to, I don't know if we should be diving right into it, but I kind of want to, is just like the, I want to know like the scenery of your duck. Like you're like, oh, you know, we're marching through the woods. Like when we go duck hunting here, we're setting up in like wheat fields, you know, cornfields, whatever. And if we're going to hunt some water, uh, it's usually like a dozen floaters. Well, we're, we are in the pothole region, a dozen so floaters. Are y'all, and, are y'all prominently dry ground? Per, pretty much. Yeah. Like we do okay. a lot of dry ground hunts. So, so what I'd like is like, can you describe what a typical setup would be for you guys? Like not only with the land and the features around it, but even with decoy setups, uh, blinds, etc. Well, you'll appreciate this. Maybe lots of water. There's water everywhere here. I mean, we we are in the wetlands. I mean, it's just everything holds water here. We have a very thin topsoil that's only maybe four to six inches deep, and then you're going to hit clay. And whenever you build your levees and stuff, you only got to go down four or six inches, get to that clay, you start building your levees up, and we're able to hold water on just about anything. Now, there's a little bit of sandy ground that doesn't hold as water as good as other places, and, and those fields just don't get flooded. But those mm-hmm. are few and far between. The m- majority of the ground in Arkansas that is left that is duck huntable is crop production. Uh, way back in the day, they started clearing ground, turning it into crop production fields because that's how they were making their money back in the day. And it's unfortunate because, I mean, I think 90% of the ground that's down here in the uh in the the grand prairie was timber at one time and it's unfortunate because now everybody just wants to hunt you know flooded timber and we had abundance of that one time or could have had abundance of that to present day but there's a lot of crop production fields now and then there's also if you can get your hands on it uh, public shooting ground obviously has a lot of flooded timber but that's you know the, the government takes care of that. The state of Arkansas takes care of that. And then there is, right next to us, there's the, pri- the largest privately owned section of private timber in the state of Arkansas is right next to some of our farms. So we do have a small section of timber. And that, you know, you're walking through knee-deep water, wading past trees. You lean up hmm. against a tree you just find a little open in the canopy and you can just kick the water you don't even have to have decoys you can kick the water and make some ripples blow your duck call and if you got ducks working over top of you here they come and i'll tell you for me that is probably my favorite place to be just because that's how i was born and raised duck hunting i mean up until i was 16 i didn't know field hunting even existed even though we were driving past them every single day to go to our timber spot, we just never hunted timber while I was alive. Now, my my dad and my grandfather, they used to lease fields and field hunt back whenever my dad was young. But 
whenever I was growing up, we only hunted timber. So timber is a totally different experience. It's, it's like, you know, you're staying in the field, you can see other fields or you can see the highway and you still feel connected with the world. Whenever you're in the timber, everything like you can only see maybe a hundred yards and then you see nothing but trees. And it's just like, it's just you and the ducks or just you and the water and the trees, you know, mm-hmm. there's no duck line. And, and it's a very unique experience. And I'm not talking about like a Tupelo break or a, a bio with trees down the side of it. I'm talking about a big, big flat. I mean, Biometer Wildlife Management Area is 30,000 acres of a flat that dries out during the summer. So it's still able to grow red oak trees, trees that normally wouldn't survive in water. And then it just gets flooded during the winter. And that's the reason why the ducks are in there because there's acorns on the floating in the water and things like that. It's a totally, I mean, you can, you can talk about just any other state in the U S and they might say that they have flooded timber, but the true flooded timber is in the state of Arkansas because of that factor. You know, it's, it's just a huge, vast land and you're talking about a big flat. I mean, the, the section that we have is about 300 acres. Yeah. For some people that, might seem big for me it still seems small just because i'm used to going down there by Amita where it's thirty thousand acres right so, so that flooded timber like that's something that i've always wondered about and you know you see it on tv and hunting shows and stuff and the, the birds are just like diving in there i'm just like man i want to hunt that so bad that's so cool we don't have anything like that up here in, in manitoba mm-hmm. or nothing that i know of um but the flooding of the the timber is that like naturally done or or do you guys assist with that or like how does that work so uh in the wildlife management areas like the river the river is pretty natural now you got a lot of dams in the river now and they hold it at different stages at different times of the year Uh, the river can hold water on the trees a little bit longer than say by me to wildlife management area because the water's flowing it's still carrying oxygen So whenever the trees get to a growing stage and they're starting to green up, they have to pull the water off or it has to be flowing and carrying oxygen or it'll kill the trees out. So the river is a little bit different. Biomita, like as soon as duck season over, they're pulling all their little dams in the bio and stuff like that. That's back flooding out into the flats, trying to get that water off because there's not much flow in there. And just the same thing with private uh, timber clubs there's not much flow through their woods so like the day after duck season they're trying to pull the water off that way the water's gone before the trees start to try to grow again and also we get a lot of wind storms and things like that down here the faster we can dry out the ground that's holding down the roots those wind storms won't blow over the trees and then you got a big mess on your hands for the next season so uh, mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of factors in in owning a stretch of timber and making sure that you keep a stretch of timber because you, if you take a a historically dry during the summer stretch of timber and you hold water on it year round thinking that oh i'm not going to worry about it you know we're just going to hold water next season your trees will be gone in a matter of three years they'll be oh, dead wow. tree yeah so that's true green timber. That's the reason why it's called green timber here in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. That's you cool. So it's actually it. like it's actually managed. It's not just yes. flood it and see what oh, happens. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a lot of things going on with our public shooting grounds right now, especially by Mita, that they're trying to figure out because we get we're getting so many rains during the spring and it's killing a lot of our trees and our public shooting ground by Mita. And so they're trying to figure out and they're it's going to take some money, but redesigning levees and things like that to try to get more flow as that water's coming down to get oxygen across the trees while they're still trying to grow. So, so so what is your, so once you're hunting these timbers and you kind of mentioned it, like you, sometimes you don't even need a decoy, which I find very fascinating by the Mm -hmm. way. Um, But like, what is your blind setup or do you just like lean up against a tree and get your limit and walk out? Like what, what how does that look like for you guys? A lot, a lot of private clubs will still build blinds. I mean, you have some older gentlemen that come with you. They want to be able to sit down somewhere. So they'll, they'll build blinds or something like that. But, I mean, a true timber hunt is just leaning up against a tree. You are becoming another tree. You're becoming the tree that you're hunting on. And you're you're on the shaded side of the tree. You That's one thing. They always... You want to go to the timber on a sunshiny day. Honestly, in my opinion, you want to go duck hunt on any sunshiny day. Uh, that's just my opinion but um if you get on that shaded side you're in the shadows they can't see you and they and they'll literally the beautiful thing about timber is whenever they break down through the trees they're brushing up against limbs all the way down and it's the craziest thing ever you would think that there are more like a blackbird coming into the woods i mean they they don't float in they like they come over the hole and then they decide, oh, I'm going to go straight down right now. And they like hover straight down and they'll fly through branches and things like that. Like they're just a little Tweety bird or something. But no, they're this big old duck. Like, and and that's the cool thing of it because they get so close to you because you're just another tree, you know. And right. like by the, by the time that they decide that they're coming through the canopy, like they've probably like committed to coming in there, right? Yeah, you, you'll work on basically whenever you're working ducks over the trees, you're working them at treetop high they're flying Mm -hmm. over the trees and they're circling 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 and you'll you'll kind of get a custom hunting a hole so often that you're like okay with this wind they're going to break down through this little chute and so whenever they get to that point you might hit them really hard and like and they all of a sudden that first one or the first two or three lock their wings and they're like oh we're going in there we're going to check out what's going on and then here comes another hundred of them right behind them. And it's kind of like, I mean, you, like you see, you see tornadoes and fields and stuff like that. But whenever back in the day, it's not always the same anymore. I mean, there's still, I've talked to some guys that hunt public shooting ground and they still see it to an extent, but used to, whenever you started pulling ducks off of the surface of the trees and pulling them down in the hole, it was just like a funnel effect. Every other mm-hmm. duck, in a 500 yard a mile radius of you from your hole would just automatically suck over there because they felt confidence that oh there's other ducks going into that hole so it would just grow and grow and grow yeah and if, that some, was if someone's thing. coming down then like if somebody's confident that they're okay going down there then oh, the rest of us are fine yeah, yeah. I mean, you see it in, in open field hunting too, you know, yeah. you, you convince one or two and then all of a sudden the rest of them decide, okay, well, let's go over there. Yeah, yeah. As long as you can, like, I feel like with open hunting, as long as you can turn one, like if they're flying mm-hmm. away and you can turn one, you'll turn the whole group. Well, the, and the usually, thing is too, like up here when we're, we're shooting a lot of Canada geese, snow geese and stuff, we get a lot of lessers, which are basically like a sub of a 
of a Canada goose and kind of like a snow goose in a way too, but sure. they get, in, they get into huge like cackler groups where <laughs> if you can break seven or eight of them off, you're getting mm-hmm. lucky. Like they won't follow. And then it's just like, and they'll circle and circle, but you know, and then it's like, well, do we let these ones land or do we, you know, take our shot? You know, yeah. like it's, it gets, it's yeah. super fun, but like for us, like I've, I don't think I've, I've maybe seen it one or two times where you get the big groups of snows. And then once, you know, a good group of them start committing, then they start that, like, let's just say like the tornado effect, I guess, quote unquote. But yeah. um, so when you're hunting the timber though, what's that? Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, geese are a totally different game. They, oh, yeah. they freaking. Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But when you're hunting that timber, you kind of mentioned the wind, and you kind of mentioned them like coming in into the, into like the pockets or whatever. The other thing that, and I want to kind of like put these two questions together because you mentioned that your your dad and, and whoever would say we're not shooting until there's a hundred hundred birds in the water. So are you guys shooting them on the way down or on the way up? Well, here it's not going to always be like that. I mean, we shot into groups of ten. You know, it just right. depended on the day. But it, it was a it was a thing for the old timers that you didn't shoot until their feet touched the water. Now you weren't shooting them on the water. But it, it, if you get them to that point in the timber, they break through the trees. And if you get them all the way down there where they're maybe at your head elevation off the water, then it's going to take them a lot longer to get back up out. Because whenever they lift up out of the trees, they're going to try to go straight up. And that right. takes them a long time to find mm-hmm. an opening to get back out. Whereas if you just let them break into the trees a little bit, and they're still way up there, you know, because trees are pretty tall. You know, you're talking about some old timber here that's, you know, 30, 40 feet up. And if you only let them break in a little bit, it don't take them very long to get back out. So we would always try to let them get as low as they felt confident. And then all of a sudden, they'd call the shot, and it took them a lot longer to get back out. So It's kind of like, um, so when I'm duck and goose hunting with the guys, um they are they are a little bit better shot than me still like i'm i'm an archery person i bow hunt i don't i don't i don't, I don't believe that because women are <laughs> I, i'll admit that women are usually a better shot than men <laughs> i i will say that Something i about have their a eyesight. yeah I, eyesight is like <laughs> yeah it's like the the i find that the instinct like the hand eye coordination and the instinct yeah. of shooting is uh, for me personally is is really good uh like i enjoy instinctive um archery like longbow shooting because i don't have to aim as much as like i shoot compound and you have to aim obviously um and instinctive shooting is just just that like you you don't aim but the boys are just more practiced and better at it i think like lifelong they've they've waterfowl hunted a lot longer than me but that's something that I I have noticed and I have learned that when I'm hunting with them, I like to kind of like nudge my husband and be like, like, let the birds settle in a little bit better because I'll have a, a better opportunity where those boys, they, they're fine to take longer shots. They enjoy that and they'll do it. And I'm just like, let, especially the geese, like let the geese come down because exactly what you're saying. If they come down and they like, we always say like, if they put out the landing gear, then by the time they're down there, it's so much harder for them to like flap to get back up and away where these guys like they'll shoot them when they're like 
coming down and then they just kind of like veer off and I want to shoot them when they're like pretty much landed on top of me so that I know that they can't get away. Well, there's a, there's a special moment whenever a duck lands that they're almost hovering and mm-hmm. it's usually only about three feet above the water. Yeah. If you can get them to that point, three feet above the water, they're almost hovering and it's the easiest shot you can ever take. And that's the reason why as a guide, and what we do now, we always try to get them to that point because mm-hmm. I've been there when I got a, you got a crappy day or they don't want to work right. And it's like shot after shot after <laughs> shot and mm-hmm. nothing's coming into the blind. And I'm like, Oh Lord, we're going to be here all day. <laughs> yes. I don't, I know those days. Those days have been uh, generally last year, my, uh, so hunting with my husband and his, a, a core group of his friends is it usually takes us longer to put up the decoys than it does for the hunt and for some reason a few times when i've gone it seems like we're there till 11 12 o'clock and the one (laughs) the one hunt last year is probably like 10 30 11 and my husband's mad now because they 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 limit out fast and he's mad and he says there's got to be something wrong there just has to be and he gets out and i i brought a box of chocolates and it was green and I forgot it on the outside of my blind. <laughs> That'll happen. <laughs> so we had a really not good day and I was in a little bit of trouble. <laughs> I learned my lesson really fast. <laughs> oh man. If you're listening to this episode, we know you love local and so do we. That's why we're going to encourage you to check out your local co-op. Co-op is in over 600 communities across Western Canada with over 2 million members. Co-ops are a member-driven organization that serve the local community. You can check out co-ops for all your food, fuel, home and construction, as well as agricultural needs. A membership costs you $10 to get in, and you're going to see that back in equity. You don't need a membership to shop at Co-op but you'd be missing out on all the equity and most importantly your say and how that company runs. For groceries, if you want to shop online, you can check it out online at shop.crs and select markets. There's hundreds of local products sourced and packaged all across Western Canada and even free cookies for children in store at the deli counter. If you're looking at a home and building experience, they have local experts available to help with any plant, large or small and free home and garage blueprints available for online download. Their gas stations are not just a great place to stop for fuel, but also for snacks and a recharge. They're available all across Western Canada, voted the cleanest bathrooms. They have full service at most locations and car washes at most locations. On the egg side, Co-op's been in the business since 1930 and has continued to lead the way in not just energy products needed for seeding, harvesting, and everything in between, but also in the growing inventory of high-quality products, including crop inputs and feed that Co-op manufactures and distributes. Co-op's private label production selection is growing every year, providing growers with the high-quality products they expect from the name they trust. Co-op also offers a range of fuel, lubricant, and propane products, and also provides farm buildings, grain bins, bulk fuel, fuel tanks, livestock equipment, fencing, and heaters. Wherever you are, be sure to check out your local co-op because they have it all. Um, So Colton, the other thing I was going to ask you too, so other than hunting the timber and with your outfit and everything else, like you guys hunting fields and um, like dry situations kind of idea? 
No, no dry situations other than geese. Okay. Now ducks, predominantly here in Arkansas, you are going to hunt flooded fields or timber for ducks just because there's so many water opportunities. That's where they're going to go. Mm-hmm. They can roost on water. They can feed on water. And plus we have water that's only, I mean, it, it goes from, you know, a field could be two foot on one end of the field and then go all the way to nothing by the other end of the field. So they have any option of depth of water and every field is almost like that here in Arkansas. So they're going to feed on water and they are going to roost on water. So you always just hunt water for ducks. Uh, mm-hmm. Speckle bellies are a little bit different. Speckle bellies. Uh, I don't know if y'all get any speckle bellies up or where y'all are at. Oh yeah. 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 speckle bellies i'm sure you know they go from water to dry but here they're they're a little bit different sometimes they'll feed in water and sometimes they'll dry feed like the snow geese it, it's a, it's a they're a little bit harder to target down here just because of those opportunities that they have so you have to play them there's a lot more scouting that goes involved with them and then snow geese of course are roost on water dry feed yeah yeah exactly so what is a so what is a flooded field like is that something that you guys are doing like i would assume is that a a management thing yeah predominantly we have flooded fields that's what we're predominantly hunting uh 90 of our ground is flooded fields uh crop production fields and also moist soil habitats uh crop production fields but anything from a rice field corn field milo soybeans Soybeans and rice is the most predominant here in Stuttgart, Arkansas, and that's most of the crop production fields. That's what we have. Um, and then we also have fields that say a farmer really doesn't want to mess with it that year or it stayed too wet and it gets left fallow. We will go in and we will hold water on it or put water on it at different times. We'll disc it out and we uh, turn it into a moist soil habitat for that year. Mm-hmm. And basically all that is, we don't go in, and a lot of people are, are probably going to be like, what? They don't plant anything in it. Uh, but we have a lot of native grasses here in the state that if we go in and disc it up, put waters on it at the right time, we get those native grasses that come up, and you cannot beat a duck out of there with a stick because oh. there's so much <laughs> food and grain in our fallow native grasses fields so it saves us money i mean we don't have to plant anything now we've tried doing uh millet we've tried planting corn but corn they always turn it into a roost spot and that pisses me off i don't want to i don't (laughs) want a roost spot i want to kill and millet here in the in the state of arkansas the snow geese just terrorize it in about six hours you can Uh, take a 30 acre field with millet and the snow geese will have it ate up in about six hours and yeah. that is just so hard to manage that and keep them ran off of it so yeah. we just go with the fallow fields because usually snow geese the snow geese will stay out of those fallow fields with the native grasses every once in a while on a really cold day or icy day they'll get in there but they can't eat it out there's right. so much grain in a native grass field i know like um even up here like with the snow geese if like we get you know good groups of Canada's in fields. And then the, if the snow geese get into those same fields, they'll, they'll push them right out. And they'll, they'll like feed right across a whole set, like quarter section Uh-oh. and they're out of there. Yeah. And feel like if no one's pushing or pressuring them. Um, so if you're, you're hunting a flooded field, what is it like, how do you set up for that? Like, what does that look like? 
Well, a lot of people do it a lot of different ways. Uh, a lot of people want to try to put pits in the middle of fields, like pit blinds or sunk in blinds in the middle of fields. And, and we've tried that and done that way back in the day. And I, hunt, I hate hunting out of a pit. It's like hunting in an exploding box or a ricocheting <laughs> box. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I try to stay away from those. We, uh, we actually build some pretty nice wooden blinds on levees. So a lot of our fields have a tree line or have a levee, outside levee, that you don't have to, you could just hold it at one elevation from one end to the other and that levee is going to hold the water in. It, it might be uh, three foot high, it might be five foot high standing on the elevation of the field. So we'll, we'll tuck those blinds up in the levee or on a tree line. And some people think you have to be where the duck is going. What you really have to do is entice the duck to come where you are. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, sometimes we will pull some skids around and hunt an impromptu place that day just because the ducks don't want to be on the deep end. They don't want to be on the shallow end. They want to be over here in this pocket, and you have to do that some days. But we always hunt the edge where we have the most cover, mainly because we're not sky busters. We want to try to finish them on the decoys so we want to have good concealment. We want to put out a good spread and then we'll entice them with duck calling or something like that over to the edge. Mm -hmm. And then we also play, we play the winds. If you have actually, a lot of people would think, okay, I'm going to put four blinds around this field and it holds even water all the way across it. I'm going to hunt the blind with the wind at my back. Don't do that. We will actually, we will hunt. Sometimes we will hunt a blind that has a little bit of wind in our face that way especially with unexperienced hunters like coming to the guide service and stuff like that they're moving around they're scaring birds with that little bit of wind in your face they'll hook over your shoulder mm -hmm. and then dump right into the decoys in front of you and they never even know you're there because right. they can't see into the windows of the blind so there's a lot of different ways to hunt fields but we just we do it that way a lot yeah we we did a podcast episode of this uh, fellow named Dan from he's uh, in the northern states. Can't remember which one, Minnesota maybe, and he does a lot of uh, goose goose hunting, does a lot of dog training. And the one thing that he brought to my attention that I've never really um, played, um, like obviously up here we play the wind a lot, obviously, but like uh, using the sun to your advantage, right? Like he he said, like he was telling me like putting the birds' eyes in the sun. You know, if you're going to be out there later on in the morning, mm -hmm. get those birds looking in the sun. They'll never see yep. you kind of thing. Work in the shadows. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of like different ways to hunt these things. And you just, till we start a podcast, yep. there's a lot of things that I'm learning. You know, I, <laughs> I agree. I agree with, I agree with that. And I don't know if it's so much as seeing you or it's, if the sun is on the same side of the decoys that the birds are coming in, those decoys are illuminated and they don't look as real like you take a, a, sh uh, a cloudy day everything's the same tone they always shy off the decoys but if you put the sun at the back side of the decoys and the decoys are just silhouettes they don't know any difference and they come mm -hmm. right on it and i mm -hmm. think i think it's decoys are the biggest thing on that right mm -hmm. i think like sometimes up here when we get frost on our decoys like sometimes on a cool morning you'll still get frost on them and that kind of like the the waterfowl get kind of weirded out by that like it's not normal to have that so they get kind of right. they don't like that yeah, I know, like no. a lot of times our guys will do 
you know, we'll do a, like a cup formation, but we'll also, the boys will also do if like the, if they'll, if they check the weather and the weather network is, is forecasting a change in direction, they'll do Mm -hmm. like X's and stuff like that so that they always have an opportunity for a different position Mm -hmm. for the birds to like, to land into if the wind's going to change. I always thought that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, formation of decoys is 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 very interesting, and everybody does it different. <laughs> yeah, everybody does it different. Yeah, there's a million ways to do it. That's for sure. And like that's like one thing up here, we used to lay out and lay out blinds every Saturday morning with Dad and everyone else. And then all of a sudden, it was, oh, let's build a willow blind on a little trailer, and then we can sit on bar stools. So we've been mm-hmm. doing that the last four or five years, and it's so comfortable, and you can shoot 360 oh, and. Yeah. No, they're unreal. So we've totally changed our game. And, and, and it's from talking like with guys like yourself, the, 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 another question I have for you is, have you seen anything, um, in the evolution of a decoy? Because I know like 15 years ago, or maybe, yeah, probably 15 years ago, we were like big into buying full body, um, like let's say, uh, Canada goose decoys. And now we're almost transitioned to like the sock, the silhouette socks and, um, you know, maybe less of a realistic decoy to more of a simpler setup decoy. Have you guys found any difference there with your decoys? Ever changing. Always. Ever changing. <laughs> I'll be honest, but yeah, we, uh, uh, I guess about three seasons ago, we started trying the silhouettes and stuff like that. And it was working great. Absolutely great for speckle bellies. Not so much snow geese. Cause we kind of came late in the game of trying to trick snow geese. Snow geese were actually running full bodies which is a nightmare with a whole bunch of seed sacks on a 20 foot trailer. Um, but yeah, there was a little while there you could fool them with silhouettes and it's like, how does this work? You know, but you put them in different directions, you play off the wind and you get them right. And they were sucking from like two fields away because they could actually see them further because I guess that flat board was creating like a shadow on that side of it. So it was actually a dark, image and they could see it from further away because it was just a flat image hmm. but that that was the biggest thing i noticed about them but i will tell you in the most pressured waterfowl place in the world for any kind of waterfowl here in stuttgart arkansas it ain't working no more it's no. about to go back to having realism really? we last year we took them all out about the third week of season we stopped using silhouettes completely and we went back to full bodies you know, floating decoys, whatever looked the most realistic. That way we could actually finish them. Yeah, you could you could still shoot them at sky high, but that's not the way we do things. We try right. to finish them. We want to give the customer that kind of experience. So, hmm. so I have a question then. Um, if say say somebody comes in and they and they say to you, okay, I have five thousand dollars that I could buy decoys. Do you think that it's completely necessary that they go and buy the most expensive decoy, or are are a lot of the decoys at different price ranges still great and still useful to use, even though the birds are kind of ever-changing? You know, every day is different. Some days, a cloudy day, I think you could spend, have the most felted-out, high-dollar-in decoys, and I don't even know if it'd make a difference on a cloudy day. And then you get a sunshiny day, and you can use the most crappy decoys you can imagine and the ducks act like nothing's even wrong. You could probably have them all painted white and they're probably going to come in. <laughs> you know, there's just, there's good days and there's bad days. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all, we all get in that 
especially me going every single day, I'm like, okay, what did I do wrong today? Well, today just might have not been the good day, you know? Mm-hmm. It just made the conditions. We had cloudy conditions, overcast. They could see everything. They could see down in the blind. Um, there's a lot of things that come into play. No, I think I think you can get some decent-looking decoys and still save money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think silhouettes are not a bad idea still. I say I said that. But if you're just you and some buddies and you're just trying to go out and save some money and go hunting, buy some silhouettes. You're probably going to get them close enough to shoot. It's just I have a, you know, this is a business for me. I, I have like this repetition to uphold. So I'm going to invest money into having the best opportunity I can. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know like how to really ask this question really, but I'm going to just kind of give the example of what we have. But like, for instance, my father and myself, we hunted birds hard for three or four years. And we found like, we'd almost be educating birds to where like, they were so hard to decoy and they're so hard to get called into a field and maybe not educated by us per se, but uh, you know, maybe other hunters in that flyway when they're getting down that far South in Arkansas, are they, are you dealing with educated birds? Like, is that even a phrase that you guys use down there? Every single day of my life (laughs) (laughs) from ducks to snow geese we got it all they've been to the uh school of not getting shot from y'all all the way down okay i'm telling you every single bird we deal with here in stuttgart arkansas has some kind of education so we're i mean if y'all came down here and you hunted and you saw some of the things that we did you'd probably be like holy crap we're going back home we got it pretty good <laughs> yeah <laughs> which maybe not maybe not because and y'all might be dealing with a lot of adult birds and of course adult birds are a lot e- harder to deal with than the juvenile birds you know it really depends on what push of birds you get you know you get a really hard cold front that forces some ducks from the north then we're gonna have a damn good week of duck hunting because they're uneducated to the area or they haven't spent much time there they haven't been here for a month seeing right. where all the blinds exploding and yeah so <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly um i got a, a couple more questions here like i'm getting uh close to an hour here so that's been flying by but i got a couple more questions and i'm sure april has a few more too so you can talk to me longer i'm just gonna enjoy a few more beers so. oh perfect man <laughs> that's awesome that's exactly what we love doing um but the the flyway like we like we've mentioned a million times now in this episode is that we do share the same flyway um have you noticed any type of like shift in the flyway if, as it like in your area because i know for manitoba here um our, like the Mississippi flyway has kind of moved towards the West more. And so that mm-hmm. flyway is kind of overlooking Saskatchewan more than Manitoba. Like we're still catching a piece of it, but have you noticed anything down on your part of the world? Um, things are different. I, I will admit that things are different in the state of Arkansas, no matter where you go. Um, but everywhere is different. Every year is different, brings different climates and things like that. And we deal with different just obstacles to jump every season to reach our average. But I will tell you this, for the past 10 years, we've held the same average of ducks that we kill every single year, around about. I mean, we average out pretty freaking close for the past 10 years. Speckabilities bounce around a little bit, just depends on how they act. Um, 
I think the biggest misconception for, for the South and the local guys that we have down here, and you might hear some bag talk, is the ducks are getting a lot smarter that we have. There's some really, really old birds that are still coming here year after year after year, and every year they get smarter. And they figure out we can feed at night in some of these places and not get ate by a coyote, and that means we don't get shot at by duck hunters. They're getting very, very mm -hmm. smart to that. So they will do more night feeding here on us. So then all the locals that aren't necessarily out there all day long will come out and be like, oh, we ain't got no ducks. And I'll be like, well, I watched them about 5 to 6 p.m. last night just flood these fields by the thousands, and then they're gone the next morning. They're, right. they're just getting wise, or they're, they're feeding here and they're traveling farther to roost, or they're roosting here and traveling farther to feed here. And just to, because they're getting wise to the thing. So uh, as far as our new ducks, maybe it's not necessarily the flyway has shifted as much as they're not coming down as far as they used to. The, mm. the climate that we've had here lately hasn't pushed them down far enough for us to see those new ducks. Because whenever we do get that hard freeze, everybody's like, oh, Arkansas is the best place to hunt again. You know, because we got <laughs> We're back. ducks. Yeah. But <laughs> We're back, for baby. the most part of the season... We deal with old ducks, and you just mm -hmm. got to be smarter than the duck. Right. And yeah. I just don't like that whine and cry. I, I'd rather outsmart, mm. you know, something that doesn't live in a house and put a, you know, a head on a pillow. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I have a question for you in regards to like into in regards to scouting. So, when you're scouting these flooded fields, and you're you had mentioned that the birds can feed and roost on a flooded piece so when yeah. you're scouting flooded and you're scouting timber how is that different like when we scout um when i go scouting in the evenings i'll like i usually scout in the evening and i'll go with the guys when they scout so that i'm learning a little bit too so we're scouting and we're looking for birds on uh, on a field usually peas and corn like peas early season corn uh later season something that's close to water and that all the majority of the birds have their heads down and it's like a hundred or more birds. If the birds have their heads mm. up, my husband's always like, don't even worry about those birds. Like they're probably going to go jump somewhere else um, before they go back to water. So how is that different for you um, scouting like things that are flooded that they could always potentially be on that water? Yeah. So it, it does get hard on fields because um, full moon stage is play a lot into that so okay let me Ooh. let me go with timber first 90 99 9.9 percent .9 of the time i'm never i'm not going to say never ducks do not roost in timber for whatever reason they are not going to roost in timber they're going to roost on open water that they can see a long ways away so they don't roost in timber that doesn't mean that they're not going to go in there during the day and just loaf they might go in there before sunrise they might get up off of the roost spot and go before sunrise, before shooting time, and roost in there all day long and just loaf because they've been feeding all that long. And most of the time, that is on a full moon stage. A full moon stage, they will go out to the fields because they can see at night. Mm -hmm. They got this big bright moon that is illuminating three, four fields away from them. They can see what's coming after them, and they're going to feed in those fields at night. And then they'll get up before shooting time, go into the woods before shooting time, and then just sit there all day long. So whenever we're looking at fields in the evening time, 
and trying to decide what we want to hunt the next morning besides a full moon day. May, basically, on a full moon day, we just chalk it up as like we don't got an option in the field. And really, most of the time, you don't have an option in the timber because they beat you to it. They're going <laughs> to they're, they're gonna be sitting somewhere before shooting time. And it's just going to be a lull during the day. But outside of a full moon, um, you in the afternoon can be a little bit confusing because they can come in and feed in a spot in the morning and you can you can really tell it like they hit a spot really hard like we look we're lucky enough we have uh, a few different farms that are like a thousand acre farm so i can see all over the farm what's going on so i'll be sitting there and i might not be in a good spot that day but i can see what's going on in another spot and i see some birds dumping in well then during you know mid part of the day they're going to go back to a loafing spot a big reservoir and then at the end of the day they're going to come back to that field feed a little bit more and it's like clockwork at sunset they all just get up and go back to a root spot kind of like a, a goose feed or something on dry ground and most of the time outside of a full moon situation that's where you need to be like they're gonna come back to that spot so it, it's a lot like geese but you just have to convert it a little bit to water you're probably the same as what y'all deal with on ducks but just convert it to water so. mm-hmm. huh. the the whole duck hunting situation or let's say outfitting in arkansas we've i think we've just barely scratched the surface of it yeah yeah so <laughs> we're gonna have to get you back on but I, I wanted to talk to you about um another thing that you're into uh rnt calls what's what's the story behind that yeah so uh <laughs> and that one's uh mainly because it's a personal doing more than just me and my family but um Whenever I was really young, raised, they've had RNT TV has been on Sportsman Channel and other networks for 18 years now, mm-hmm. and so pretty much all of my life I've watched the guys from RNT on Sportsman's Channel or one of the other networks, and uh, just grew up watching them. My dad watched them. Blah blah blah. We'd go out duck hunting first few years that we started the guide service jim ronquist which used to be part of rnt come out and hunted with us and filmed a television show with the sportsman channel guys got nine limits of greenheads that day it was a nice awesome awesome experience just like living in a dream and that's what that day actually what got me started in video production for I know we haven't talked about that, but I do a lot of video production in the outdoor industry uh, for ourselves as a guide service for me myself and also RT now and other uh, businesses throughout the years. So he got he kind of got me started. Him and uh, Blake Fisher that works at RT still got me started into you know being interested in video work and photography and things like that and. It was like this perfect connection from what I was already doing and now I can take photos and videos of it while I'm out there doing it. And it was like an extra gig to add on to it. And it was like, I could make this a lifelong thing. Like I could guide during the duck season and I could do video work during the off season and and it could be all just around this industry, just duck hunting 
that's all I wanted. I don't care nothing. I mean, I know y'all are probably big game hunters. I know y'all probably like other things. All I care about is waterfowl. That's all I care. I've been invited on turkey hunts. I've gone on turkey hunts. I mean, yeah, I get excited, but take me back to the rice field. I'll go back to the rice field or bring me that. All right. So um, we started our podcast uh, before last duck season. And we did it up at R&T Calls. They have a tap room up there where they serve beer. It's kind of a hangout spot. And we were going up there every Monday anyways with the guys, hanging out, having fun. Well, John Stevens, the owner of R&T, came out there and hung out with us one day. And we were like, hey, we want to do a podcast. We want to do it up here. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's fine. We invited him on to be a guest a few weeks later after we started and uh he actually became a co-host on there and uh john is probably one of the guys on rntv that i've looked up more than anybody because he took a duck call company and basically turned it into a bass pro of just duck calls like that's all they that's all they really sell is duck calls and they're shipping out ten thousand duck calls a month you know they they have a beautiful business of doing duck calls so i had a lot of respect for that guy and he has to be a co-host our friendship grew we both love cigars we both love duck hunting we we both love drinking beer we love just he he's a very quiet guy i'm actually you wouldn't believe it or not but i'm a very quiet guy i can talk about this all day long but uh, anything else no <laughs> <laughs> but uh we get and it's really connected and uh after this past duck season, I, I said, hey, uh, man, I really like being up here. And uh, I said, if there's anything I can do up here this summer, just let me know. And he said, it's funny you say that because we've been needing uh, you know, a social media guy to manage the social media, take do video work, do photography work, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, I'm in because now I work directly aside the guy that really got me started in video and photography work blake fisher back whenever they first came duck hunting with us when i was 16 years old right. so i get to work alongside of him he's teaching me things i'm i'm learning a lot went into a job not knowing really anything about um, artwork design or um, anything about building ads or anything and i'm learning so much there so it's just adding to my portfolio right now and it's a it's a it's a joy for sure. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's super cool. And like, even, oh, it's very evident if you went and checked out your Instagram, mm-hmm. like your, your content's unbelievable. And that was one of the oh, biggest yeah. things that, that attracted myself to, to reaching out to you is just like, man, this guy's, you know, doing some, you're doing a lot of stuff with the waterfowl industry and then, you know, capturing it in such an artistic mm-hmm. way. I was just like, I gotta, I gotta reach out. So um, yeah, it's very, some people might not say it's artistic. Some people might say it's just very different. But <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's what uh, that's what I, art's all I about. Will say, <laughs> I, I worried for a long time whenever I started doing the style that really blew me up on TikTok and Instagram. And the style of editing and stuff that I was doing was very kind of like new age rap music video kind of from duck hunting. And mm. I was like, oh man, all the old timers going to hate me. But at the same time, they all, I talked to them and they're like, you know what, whatever it takes to get the next generation involved and hyped about it, that's mm-hmm. what you got to do. And I, thank goodness, because that's exactly what I had in my mind, you know? Right. So, yeah. Well, it's, and it's kind of funny how you say that too, because I know even 
with starting this podcast, I remember like telling some of my, um, let's say just older generation people in my life. And they're like, well, what's a podcast? Like, what's that all about? But it's just like, <laughs> well, we're, you know, we're not doing it this really for you. We're doing this to get other people involved in the outdoors and start having the conversations that we're missing now because of, <laughs> to be honest, because of the internet, we don't pick up the phone and call each other and tell each other hunting stories anymore. You know, like we, yeah. we, we fire up YouTube and listen to someone else. So, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so it's it's kind of funny how you said that. I'm actually kind of almost out of questions here. April, do you got anything else that uh, you wanted to add on before we start moving to the end here? Um, I I might. I'm just um, I'm literally oh, pulling up a video. <laughs> you did you caught me in like a really bad moment. Um, I was just Colton was mentioning the um like TikTok and and the vid- videos and stuff like that, and I just had this moment of I should send Colton that uh that reel I made um when we took Blake my so there was myself my husband um Melissa my good friend and then one of our younger buddies I I call him my little brother because he needs babysitting most of the time (laughs) so uh little brother Blake that's me 90 (laughs) percent of that (laughs) he's like I don't know 20 23 or something like that and yeah I call him my little brother because I gotta take care of him. So it, we took him hunting and I made a little reel out of it. So I sent it to you um, just because yeah, you had mentioned right. the TikTok thing. Most of your um, connection to RNT is through the social media and stuff that way? Uh, yes. And I don't know. <laughs> okay. There's probably uh, a lot of ways, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, which there, there's a lot of things that go on at RNT. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, there, there's a lot. Uh, social media is first and foremost what i focus on so for the past few months now mostly everything that's been posted on rtv has come through me mm-hmm. and i've uh, scheduled it or produced it and uh then there's also the tv show and we're actually here in a few i think I believe we're on the second episode from so from this airing it might be only a week away or something like that um but there's a episode on the rnt tv which is on sportsman channel and my outdoor tv app that uh is with the monday beers crew so i've been on the 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 tv show a little bit too and then also going to trade shows i mean right now we're building a booth to go to delta waterfowl expo here in arkansas and stuff so i'm i'm a little bit of all-around guy there i guess you Mm -hmm. should say so and that's yeah, we okay were, with me because I don't right. like sitting in the office for very long. So. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Uh, and when I originally, when, you know, we had looked at your social media and you have it tagged there, you know, you have their, their business tagged. I just wasn't sure what your um, position or correlation with the business was. And, yeah. and we were just, you know, my husband was looking at some of the calls and he's like, April, you need to look at these. Like these are so cool and so unique like i went and i looked through the limited edition ones and all of the different just like they all have a like a different name to them and i can't even think like there were there's like a small batches oh yeah the limited edition like small batch ones where they all have their own little um topic isn't the word but they're yeah there's you know they're they're special in their own way and they have their own little titles and well, like, it, these it are is so very, cool. It is very special, like those especially because that's what I love about R&T because me being a creative guy, 
like working up there, I'm surrounded by creative people mm -hmm. from hands-on people to, to digital artists to John, which is like really hands-on, hand-turning mm -hmm. calls and coming up with the ideas to Emily, which is laser etching and hand painting these calls and stuff like that. I'm surrounded by all this creativity. And that's the beautiful thing about and I think the reason why they've done so, so well with the artwork and just different concepts of duck calls mm -hmm. is they all work as a team. They'll even come into my office sometime and they'll be like, Hey, what do you think about this? Mm -hmm. well, and I'm like, well, I'm not call design guy and they're like oh we don't care you know what do you think about it? you're creative <laughs> care. and you know i'm like oh okay <laughs> it, it's a, it feels like more like a family up there and, mm -hmm. and that's the reason why they're doing so well with what they're doing so yeah or I, I guess i should say we are doing so well but mm -hmm. it's, it's and that, awesome and that's really um like to be to be surrounded by creative people you can see it you know in your social media that was one of the first things that my husband and i had talked about was like look at this guy's photos they're they're so cool like he's he, i don't know it's just so different and so really neat and and that's one of the biggest things right is like being around other people that are creative in some kind of way it doesn't even need to necessarily be the exact same thing as you but you bounce ideas you know you bounce ideas off of somebody in regards to a call or the way the call is made or the colors that we're going to use for this or what we're going to call it and i find that when you bounce ideas off of people even for their item or their like their world within creativity or music or anything like i just find that for me personally like the wheels start turning as soon as yep. something gets mentioned artistically or creatively and for me it's music so actually that's kind of a that's maybe a good question for you it's like where do you i don't know how do you find inspiration or what what do you pull inspiration from the most for your your creative stuff mm -hmm. yeah i mean yeah talking to people and stuff honestly it, it gives me ideas about some things but my personal stuff that i want to be whatever i'm feeling I don't ever take too much influence from any person directly around me, but mm -hmm. I do listen to a lot of music and mm -hmm. I can just get in a certain vibe for the week. And that's what I'm going to produce that yes. week. And it, and it, it never follows any kind of storyline. It never follows like, I mean, people may watch it and think it does, but it, it really doesn't. It's just whatever I actually feel that week. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I come up with crazy ideas. Sometimes I'm just like, ah, I don't, I don't want to mess with this. And that's the reason why the video is simple, you yeah. know. And and it's basically that was my mood that day, that time, that week, whatever. Mm -hmm. the, but also, a lot of my influences come from uh, action movies. That's my oh. style. Oh, nice. Like okay. Action movies, action movies, and uh, rap videos. Because really? the editing and rap videos and action movies is just so insane like i want to push myself to do something i haven't done before so uh -huh. it's always like what can i do in this video i haven't tried before and make it look good i don't uh -huh. want to put something out that's like oh that's fake as hell <laughs> but <laughs> but i want to i want to try to piece it together and make it make sense uh, mm -hmm. you know so i've never um i've never listened to rap 
for that purpose and maybe i'll start like i find myself i will if i just hear a song then that's great but sometimes i'll actually go on to um a program like say like epidemic or something like that i'll go on to a, a program and i'll just like listen to a bunch of songs and all of a sudden there'll be a song that'll like stand out to me and I will download it so that I can listen to it more times. And it's almost like a shot list just creates itself. Yeah. And when I, when yep. I find when that happens, like I need to start writing things down and I have a specific little book that I write down my shot list so that I am forgetful. So if I don't write it down, when I go to do a video of some sort, I have to have that shot list. And it's amazing yeah. how fast a shot list comes together and how your brain just starts like making things happen from just simply yeah. a song. That, that's, that's the reason why I like rap music because I don't, I'm not going to say I love all rap music, but rap music that tells a good story. Right. The, some rap music does really tell a good story. It doesn't necessarily tie into my life, mm -hmm. but I can merge it to my life and I just pick the right points like where they might talk about smoking, whatever they're smoking. I'm smoking a cigar or mm -hmm. whatever. And I just piece it into those, you know, parts and pieces. And it just really, I think, I didn't realize what I was doing. I was just having fun with it. And then all of a sudden it started connecting with people. And they're like, oh, this is a totally different view of the outdoor world and stuff like that. And I was like, I don't know. I just, I'm just vibing to it, but whatever, you know, but it, it, it's just, you find music that speaks to you. And if you mm -hmm. can't, like I've sat there for days after days after days trying to find the right song to edit to. I had this idea that I thought was going to work, but you can't write, find the right song. It never works because mm -hmm. you have yep. to have sight and sound to make something believable in video. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah for sure um i have to ask what type of uh cigars do you like to smoke a little bit of everything and yeah. uh, uh i'm 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 in conversation with somebody right now that actually might be very very cool for the industry and i'm not going to say anything too much because somebody might steal my idea but um <laughs> I, I got I got something I'm working on right now for nice. the outdoor industry and cigar industry. So that's nice. Cool. I um I'm known to smoke the odd cigar myself, so um yeah, so that's why I had to ask. Um, but yeah, Colton, everything's been like like I said, time has flown here, and I've been you know we picked your brain I think long enough that maybe we can start wrapping it up. But um, April, do you have any final thoughts before we take off? No, I, I mean, I could sit here and talk for hours, so hopefully we can <laughs> get Colton. I mean, I wish Brennan was here to chat with you because he would just he would just love it. So hopefully we can get you on another podcast someday soon and maybe have my husband on here and just he'd let you guys go down the rabbit hole. Sure, sure. Right on. Uh, yeah, like, and same thing for myself, Colton. Is just, like I said, of reaching out to you on Instagram and you just, you know, uh, scheduling a time really quick to get on onto the podcast is really amazing and you know I just wanted to say thank you from from all of us panoramic because uh, we need more people like you in the industry where it's uh, just you know get on talk shop and and, and you know we, we ask you a million questions but it's like a whole different world I think of uh, waterfall hunting down there than compared to up here so oh, yeah. every 
tip and trick that you can that you can gain is always something good for the pocket right so Mm -hmm. um but yeah thanks a lot for coming on and uh hopefully we'll get you back on the podcast maybe we can get you on like right before the fall season or right before you get super busy and maybe talk a little bit more waterfowl because i know that's one thing that uh, a lot of our listeners always ask for is more waterfowl podcast mm-hmm. episodes um and we do a wide variety of things so you might be in our back pocket if you ever want to come on again the, the invite will always be open oh i'd love to i'd love to and i, I know we're in different worlds but we we all have the same love so anything outdoors and conservation uh, i think that's what connects all of us and that's what i'd say to any any young guys that are listening to this podcast i would never ever dream of doing some of the stuff i do now but if you believe in it there's a lot of other people that believe in it too as long as you put it in a good light you're gonna be in a good place in this industry that's right yeah right on okay well let's uh let's reconnect here soon and we'll go from there thanks all right take care man i'd love to thank colton for being on the podcast it was really nice to chat with somebody from our same waterfowl flyway and actually find out kind of how things are a little bit different from you know the top to the bottom so Brennan, um, just, you know, before we sign off or anything, is there anything that you would like to mention about Panoramic before we get out of here? Um, yeah, actually check out our summer sale that we're going on right now, or we have going on right now on IG mm-hmm. hats, tanks, and tees, 25% off. Check them out. Mm-hmm. We got a uh, pretty good stock there in the inventory. That is our, uh, office. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, um, guys, go on over, check it out, check out the store. We've got all kinds of things going on there. There's a, a new recipe up there a couple of weeks ago, um, a morel mushroom uh, steak cream sauce. Mm-hmm. I butchered the word combination there, but uh, okay. all those things ring true nonetheless. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we're, we're looking to do a little bit of a revamp of the website, so stay tuned for all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And when uh, Brennan mentioned the store sale there, so when you go onto the website, it should automatically, it should automatically calculate for you with the summer sale. That's twenty five percent off tanks, hats, and t shirts. So it should automatically come up if you're seeing something really weird or whatever. Send us a message. You can send the Panoramic Outdoors Instagram a message. Um, they are the, the manager is, um, really great about paying attention to the messages. And if he doesn't know the answer, he'll get it to us, or you can message me directly, um, as I kind of take care of the stock right now. So that's April Dawn Willis on Instagram. If you're having difficulties, anything about the social media, Brennan, anything interesting there? There's always something interesting on Instagram. <laughs> Insta scam, as I like to call it. Yeah, that's right. Um, not not in terms of panoramic scamming, but no, it's uh, we're always looking for uh, what you guys are doing out in the outdoors. You know, we we like to spread the good word of what the outdoors is to everybody from coast to coast, uh, mm-hmm. not just in Canada, North America, the world. Really, if you've got something cool going on, sharing, you know, reach reach out to us. We we'd love to promote it. Uh, not in any sort of monetary gain way of of course just just really want to get people out there and to know about things we live in the information age and we should be you know getting these things out to people the the hikes i'm doing in bc you know i'm i I don't have a big social media presence or anything but i try and as loudly as possible communicate them to to my friends back home and uh, that's what we should be doing more of so feel free to always reach out there's always somebody watching on panoramic 
for sure reach out to reach out to the social media panoramic tag us in things you know if you're going out hiking fishing hunting checking trail cams quadding whatever it is taking the kids out getting them out in the outdoors be sure to share it with us tag us we'll always you know give you a follow or give you a share on panoramic as brennan said we just want to share the good word all right well um there is one thing that's coming up we're not gonna not going to give away too much, but we are looking to do potentially an archery competition next month. Yes. Starting August. Uh, Like I said, not a whole lot. You'll have to check back with the Insta to see what's going on there, but uh, it's going to be some pretty exciting stuff. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you're an archery hunter, if you're an archery, you know, target shooter, competition shooter, whatever you are, um, I think think you'll be able to participate in this i believe so mm-hmm. pay attention to the instagram give us a follow so that you can be up to date on those kind of things or hit that what is it hit the notification bell i can't remember if that's that's how the <laughs> that's how the youtubers say it smash yeah. that like button and hit that notification bell <laughs> like and subscribe like and, yeah, subscribe. Like and subscribe that's right um <laughs> so like and subscribe so that you don't miss out on this competition there's going to be some really good prizes we've already kind of started started work on the back end here for some cool prizes for that little uh community building competition all right well if there's nothing else bren then i guess everybody can have a great evening and keep those eye hunter pins dropping (laughs) Yeah, that'll work. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll work on that one.